You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert Sean Stevenson, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in with me today. What is your gut trying to tell you? Little do most people realize that our gut is the home of massive amounts of neurotransmitters, hormones, and so much more that is affecting our thinking, that is affecting our mood, that is affecting our minds. For example, there are these cool enterochromaffin cells located in our gut that's producing hormones that affect literally every aspect of our bodies and our health, ranging from our sleep quality to our energy to even our digestion and our metabolism. Again, all rooted in our gut. And today we're gonna be talking about the body-mind-gut connection with one of the foremost experts in this subject matter. We're gonna be talking about everything, circadian medicine, the time change act that's being proposed right now with daylight savings time. We're gonna be talking about Vegas. So many cool things. Again, we're one of the foremost experts in understanding this powerful system within our own bodies. So really, really excited about that. And one of the things that we have in common is her love of tea. This is something that's part of her morning routine. As you're going to get to hear the morning routine of one of the leading experts in circadian medicine today when she talks about that. But it's having her tea as a part of her morning routine. And for me, if we're talking about the microbiome, if we're talking about gut health, we need to look at what can we actually do to support a healthy microbial community. Because what we know now is that there are specific bacteria in our gut that communicate with the enterochromaffin cells, with the endocrine cells and nervous system cells and generators. The vast majority of our serotonin, for example, is being produced and stored in our gut. And serotonin is well noted to be this kind of dual hormone neurotransmitter that has a dramatic impact on our mood. It's known to be this kind of feel-good neurotransmitter slash hormone. And again, it's rooted in what's happening in our bellies. And so Understanding this, we want to avoid, proactively avoid things that is damaging to our microbiome and of course, add in things that are supportive to our microbiome. For me, one of my favorite things is a simple tea, traditional tea that's been utilized for thousands of years. And it's featured in a recent study published in the peer-reviewed journal, Nature Communications, and I covered that there's a unique compound called theobrownin, and it's found in the traditional fermented tea called pu'er. Now, this has some remarkable impacts on our microbiome, this compound theobrownin. The researchers found that theobrownin positively alters gut bacteria and directly reduces excessive hepatic cholesterol and reduces lipogenesis, aka the creation of fat. Another study published in the Journal of Agricultural and Food Chemistry found that pu'er may be able to reverse gut dysbiosis by dramatically reducing ratios of potentially harmful bacteria and increasing ratios of beneficial bacteria. This is a lot. There's a lot of really cool things that Pu'er has been found to do. But again, it's been around for thousands of years. But the quality matters. Marketers find out about this stuff and they start doubling down on toxicity and poor production practices and really missing out on the essence of something really special that you wanna seek out the very best sources possible. For me, the only pu'er that I drink is from Peak Teas. Go to peaklife.com forward slash model for an exclusive 10% off their incredible 
triple toxin screened, wild crafted pu'er tea that extracts the bioactive compounds at cold to low temperatures and retains their nutritional density in their patented tea crystals. Really, really cool stuff. And again, they're making sure that there's no nefarious compounds coming along with your teas, which is commonplace in tea today. So many great benefits can be found in the diversity of teas out there. But the microplastics, the heavy metals, the pesticides, the toxic molds, all this stuff we don't want coming through in our tea. So go to peaklife.com. That's P-I-Q-U-E-L-I-F-E dot com forward slash model. Use the code model at checkout. You get an exclusive 10% off their entire catalog of over 20 delicious award-winning tea flavors. Again, this is exclusive alert, exclusive with the Model Health Show. It's 10% off. Again, go to peaklife.com. That's P-I-Q-U-E-L-I-F-E.com forward slash model. Now let's get to the Apple Podcast Review of the Week. Another five-star review titled Excellent Supplement to His Books or The Books Are an Excellent Supplement to This Podcast by The Original Crispy. I used to struggle with sleep. Still do. It's hereditary. My family has used opioid prescriptions from doctors, which is no bueno. I have read and listened to these podcasts to know how bad that is. These have been a game changer for me. No sleeping pills, no fake sleeping remedies. Candles, vitamin D, daily walks, minimal blue light, etc. There's always room for improvement. So now working on eating the right foods for a longer, healthier life and have been intermittent fasting for several years. And I feel great. Wow. Wow. That's just incredible. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your voice, share your story. And it means so much. And thank you to everybody who's popping over to Apple Podcasts and leaving a review for the Model Health Show. It means so much. Hopefully we can get your review read here on the show. And uh, again, thank you so much. It means everything and it helps to get the word out and to encourage more people to push that button on their phone and get into this universe of health and empowerment. And it's more needed today than ever, as you know. And on that note, let's get to our special guest and topic of the day. Our guest today is Dr. Amy Shaw, and she's a double board certified medical doctor and nutrition expert with training from Cornell, Columbia, and Harvard University, and also the author of the best-selling book, I'm So Effing Tired, a proven plan to beat burnout, boost your energy, and reclaim your life. Let's jump into this conversation with the one and only Dr. Amy Shaw. Welcome back to the Model Health Show. Thanks so much for having me. So fun. <laughs> it's yeah. good to see you. And I want to talk about this mind-body-gut connection, all right? This is something that's a term that's growing more, which is wonderful, but what does it really mean at its foundation? What is this mind-body-gut connection? Did you know that the way you're thinking right now, your mood, your anxious thoughts, or your happy or depressed thoughts are most likely coming from your gut, and it's not really you're not even consciously aware that there's something else controlling these bacteria are actual think of them like little people they have personalities they have thoughts and they send signals like dopamine and serotonin gaba to your brain it's fascinating you can actually take they took schizophrenic people 
and they blinded the researchers and the researchers could pick out which people had schizophrenia based on their gut microbiome alone, knew nothing else about them. And so you can see, I mean, this is an area that we don't even think or talk about, but it is insane. So there's a hundred trillion bacteria. They have more genes than stars in the universe. And they live inside and they make decisions for us. So the gut-brain connection is something that is so fascinating to me because I, I was like, how can you, um, how do we not know about this? We don't even consider this in our studies on mental health. So they, you know, anxiety, depression, uh, feeling good mm. can come from that gut bacterial communication with the brain. And there's four different ways, at least that we know of, that they communicate. So it's not just one, you know, vagus nerve is what people think mm. about. It's mm -hmm. a connection between the brain and the gut. But there are lots of other ways, like the serotonin, dopamine, GABA pathway. There's, they produce these little uh, vesicles with uh, messengers to the brain. So there's so many different things uh, that are happening. It is just fascinating to me because I, I, I don't know about I think most people that are listening or watching want to feel happier, more focused, less anxious. And if you knew that there was another way to do it besides medications um, and just, you know, living with it, then that that's kind of exciting. Yeah. And I love this because you're somebody who's been a voice for circadian medicine and paying attention to these under undertones. And it's really strange because, you know, Pharmaceutical drugs obviously have their place, but it's been the go-to, the immediate go-to instead of addressing the underlying dysfunction, like what is causing the symptom. And you mentioned something that I'm so glad that you brought up is the fact that these bacteria, these trillions of bacteria we carry in and on our bodies, they have genes as well. Yeah. Right? And so we think about the human genome as determining our fate. But if we go gene for gene, 99 plus percent of the genes that we carry are microbial. Yeah. And they obviously have a huge influence. And another thing that I picked up from our earlier conversation was even when we're talking about our circadian clocks, these themselves are genes. These are clock genes yeah. that are determining when our body's doing everything that it's doing. But our microbes, our bacteria have essentially clock genes as well and circadian rhythms as well. Yeah. These, they need to sleep too. Mm. Um, and they need time they follow day and night cycle and we were talking about it but basically if they don't see light and dark for 24 hours those clock genes in their body gets damaged um and they don't function the way they're supposed to so not only are we damaging our gut bacteria by eating horrible foods with high sugar and preservatives emulsifiers etc we're also putting them in a dark place or, you know, over 24 hours where they don't know what night and day is and they're dying off that way. Mm -hmm. So we need that exposure to natural light, to sunlight. The natural light is absolutely necessary for the functioning of not only our clock genes, uh, but also our gut bacteria's clock genes. 80% of the body's functions, at least that we know of, work on circadian input. Mm -hmm. And so one of the easiest interventions people can do is start getting more natural light in the day 
Um, and I know for me, that was like the first thing that actually made me feel better. And so people are always like, you know, there's so many things you guys talk about, but if you really just started with getting some natural light in the morning and then maybe some natural light in the evening, you could really start to change so much of your body without changing one thing in your diet. Mm. So what is it about getting exposure to sunlight in the morning that actually helps to kind of set your circadian timing system? So in your eyes, you have direct receptors that go to your brain, to the suprachiasmatic nucleus. And so when your retina sees natural light, so it's different than, you know, this indoor light that we're in, it will send signals and it will say it's daytime, time to focus, time to process complex thoughts, time to get your digestion going, time for the metabolism to start working. There are signals that get sent all over the body and it's coming from uh, the suprachiasmatic nucleus. So your hormones and um, all of those processes start to calibrate and we need that. So each cell has its own clock, but it gets input from this master clock so that it can start working properly. That's why you feel so much better when you go outside, your brain works better, your mood is improved. Um, and that's why we've kind of ignored this for too long. Um, and we were talking about Vegas before, P places where you're spending a ton of time indoors without natural light is going to damage your body in ways that we're just starting to understand now. Yeah, and so before this show got started, we were talking about trips to Vegas, so my <laughs> wife just, planned a trip. The last time we went to Vegas, I've, I've, I've spoken in Vegas probably four or five times at, you know, some pretty epic events, but I never like stayed and like done the stuff. Yeah. And when my wife and I went together the last time was about 11 years ago when she was pregnant with my oh, youngest wow. son. And I was speaking at an event, of course. And, you know, we were getting by, but, you know, we weren't doing particularly well. And so we even flew standby to get to the event. Yeah because we have a friend who works for an airline. And nice. so what standby means is that you literally stand by. You, I didn't really get it because when we first went from St. Louis to Vegas, we got right on the plane. It was all it's like, oh, this is cool. Yeah. But coming back was a whole other story. And because of that, like we didn't, we didn't get to get on the first flight. You have to wear a certain attire as well. I don't know if people know that for certain airlines because what they told me is like, you represent the airline. So, you know, I had to like run. I just had like a jeans and a t-shirt on. I had to run to like, there's a golf store in uh, Las Vegas. I had to jump on a train, you know, fly over there, get this golf outfit on. I wanted to punch myself in the face a little bit, but I got, I threw the outfit on and I ran back, raced across the, you know, I, I looked like Tiger Woods on a really bad yeah. day, you know? <laughs> you had to and look so, hard. Yeah. <laughs> and so now, but now we missed this flight as well. And so we ended up having to stay a night in a whole different city. And it was just this crazy ordeal because of finances. And so all these years later, is a very different experience. You know, my wife put the weekend together because for me, I'm just like, I personally, I wouldn't have any interest in going necessarily. Yeah. You know, it was like, I, it was cool, but whatever. Like, I like my routine. I like feeling good. Yeah. And everything starts at 9 p.m. Everything, you know, it's so, but she... The, the deal breaker for me that was just like, oh yeah, this is awesome, was we went to the Silk Sonic concert, you know, so shout out to cool. Bruno Mars and Anderson Pack, and it was bananas. It was one of the most incredible things I've seen. And, um, but what I saw was what we're talking about, the casino environment, you know? So we stayed at a hotel that was connected to other casinos. 
And it's changed a lot. Even yeah. since I went last time, there's a lot less smoking yeah. uh, environments, you know, than when we went last time. But just this atmosphere, these very strange lights and sounds right. can really start to throw off your body's rhythm. It's like you, your body essentially, we haven't evolved with those kind of inputs. And so people are there from dusk till dawn at their slot machines or at their tables and they lose track, like their body gets so discombobulated. Yeah, and it's, it's so, I don't think we understood the impact of that. Um, of course, it's great for the casino owners because we're discombobulated. We kind of don't know when to sleep, when to wake up, what, yeah. you know, we don't feel good. So we're just kind of eating and drinking more to see, you know, maybe that makes us feel better. Um, and really that kind of, you can actually damage the clock genes in your cells mm. to the point where they don't work anymore. Mm. And so this is not just about, oh, you know, you went for a day or two, that's fine. But people who are doing this all the time. And, you know, during the pandemic, what I noticed is a lot of the children were indoors all the time. And I had to tell my kids, you have to go outside, even though there's everything's online. And, you know, during their breaks, they would be on their iPad or on their phone. You have to go outside. It's so important for children to get that input of circadian rhythms. And that doesn't come from even a window. Yeah. It comes from natural light. Yeah. That's, thank you for so much for sharing that because these are the, this is the collateral damage that's not yeah. getting talked about, especially for children. And the CDC published a report looking at some of the outcomes. Just recently, even one came out last week. We'll put a couple up for people to see if they're watching the video version. But they were looking at the uh, mental health outcomes for children, adolescents, and almost half of the children analyzed, you know, teens, had depressive thoughts, thoughts of, and also like one out of five had thoughts of suicide, suicidal contemplation. And the numbers just jumped up mightily. It had already been climbing in, in recent years, but just took this mighty jump. But I'm bringing this up to say another CDC report looked at childhood obesity. And I want to ask you about this as well. And what they found was that uh, childhood obesity took a gigantic leap during this time of shutdowns yeah. and mandates. And children who are moderately obese, and again, we'll put this study up for people to see, published by the CDC, children with moderate levels of obesity, their annual rate of weight gain doubled. So it went from around six pounds annually increase to 12 pounds in just that short span. And it's just like, again, we're getting this feedback that something is seriously awry here. We might say, oh, it's a short-term thing. But then we have recidivism mm -hmm. where like you pick up these things when you're a child, it becomes increased, like ridiculously, exponentially more difficult to address than when you get older. So I wanted to ask you about this because part of regulating our, our metabolic rate and our insulin sensitivity comes from being aligned with a certain clock yeah. and sun exposure and those kind of things. So how has thrown off our, our children's rhythm been playing into challenges with body composition and obesity? Absolutely. Obesity is so closely linked with circadian rhythms as well. Um, insulin levels. So we know that our ability to process sugar changes throughout the day, and we need those circadian rhythms to kind of help the body know um, that you know, you should process sugar during the day. And usually around eight o'clock, we notice that your ability to process sugar goes uh, much lower. And so if you are following circadian rhythms, you can actually improve blood sugar control and 
reduce obesity by, you know, educating people on this um, circadian pattern. But there's so much, you know, that goes into obesity. So one is, you know, these brain pathways that are getting set. Like you said, things that we are doing as children get set as neurological pathways. Mm. Our brain wants to be efficient. And so it figures out, oh, when, you know, you're hungry, you have this junk food and it satisfies this craving, it's going to become a pathway. And so a lot of people will notice when they're adults, um, they still kind of go back to those comfort foods of childhood and uh, as go-tos when they're stressed or when they're not feeling good. And it's because these pathways were set mm. as a child and it's really hard to break it. And that's what we're doing when we're increasing the amount of drive-throughs and processed foods that we're having. We're setting these patterns that are often lifelong for people. So, you know, we talk about trauma, you know, as child that carries through the years. It's the same thing. Of course, not to minimize trauma, but you can actually program your brain to want certain foods, to go to certain things for comfort, uh, because the brain wants to create easy ways to comfort our, our bodies and our brains. And so we end up creating these horrible habits. 56% of Americans say that they have problems with their mental health right now. Uh, anxiety prescriptions have gone up. Uh, anxiety medication prescriptions have gone up 30%. Um, antidepressant prescriptions have gone up 26%. I mean, we are the unhappiest we've been in 50 years. So we're definitely noticing that there's something beyond just what the external events that are happening to us. So not only are we getting fatter, um, but we're also getting sadder. Mm. So really wow. Oh, wow. The good news is we can do something about this, but yeah. it's going to take it's going to take a lot of work. Yeah, I wish there was like a one, you know, one pill deal with this, yeah. but it's not. It's the it's the systems that are governing all of this. You know, I mentioned that the CDC is the one who reported with childhood obesity, and yet they've also been the propagator of mandates that resulted mm -hmm. in that uh, particular manifestation. You know, it's just like we have to take a step back and look at the bigger picture. And this is also true because this is the the next thing I want to talk you talk to you about, which circles back to you mentioned these pathways getting created with these certain food inputs, but that also involves that psychological connection with what's happening with the gut. Yeah. Because guess where that food is hitting when you're having that processed food? It's affecting our microbiome. So yeah. how does this all tie in with our kind of, you know, feelings of, you know, our cravings, our emotions, our mental health when it comes to the food that we're eating in relationship to our gut health? So cravings are different than hunger. And our gut bacteria often dictate that. Um, so sometimes you're craving something, not because you're craving it, but your gut bacteria are craving it. And when you're eating a ton of, um, say, you know, during the, during the first part of the pandemic, you might have done takeout a lot. You might have been eating a lot of uh, fast foods. And say your gut bacteria now are growing, the ones that like the sugar um, uh, and the processed foods are growing and the ones that, you know, like the broccoli and the vegetables or whatever are scarce and dying off. Mm. Those bacteria will ask for more. 
and they will send signals to your brain as craving for the foods that they like. And so those gut bacteria start to rule your thoughts. And you know those, okay, so dopamine is a molecule of motivation. And when it comes to food, alcohol, and drugs, this can be a very powerful motivation. It can be a negative or a positive because dopamine is also the one that motivates you to do better, to challenge yourself, to compete. But it's also the one that makes you get up out of this chair take and go get a food or an alcoholic drink or a drug because you are craving it so bad that you will motivate yourself to go get that. And so it can be so powerful in a negative or positive way, but we don't get any education around that. And so in schools, even in medical school, we really didn't learn that there is, when you see a patient or you're talking to someone, educate them about their gut bacteria because maybe they'll understand, it'll motivate them more to eat the healthier foods, to get more sunlight, to get better sleep because they'll say, oh, then those bacteria actually will start to change your cravings and will start to you know, want different foods. But we don't know that and we don't talk about it, but the, but the food companies know that. Mm-hmm. And they know that if they motivate you with the dopamine, the more they can motivate you, the more you will buy their product. And it's a secret that I think everyone should know so we can stop our cravings. For example, I'll give you an example. My kids, I was telling, I was educating them about this because I don't think anybody really tells them um, because they just think that they love um chips or cookies, but they don't really know why, right? So I was telling them that there's these, at Trader Joe's, they have these like roll tortilla chips that I got once because it's like a healthier version of Takis, okay? And when I explained this dopamine pathway, I said, there are some foods that you want so badly that when you get it, it's almost like pleasure mixed with discomfort. Um, It's like you love it so much, but you're like, when am I going to get more? It's like this almost uncomfortable with pleasure feelings, not pure pleasure. And um, they identified those. They said, oh, yeah, it's like when you get those, chi- when you bring those chips home, it's like you want to have more, but you can. And then you want can't wait till the next time. It's like a, it's almost an uncomfortable feeling. And that's when you're tapped into that dopamine pathway. And that's alcoholism. And that's the craving for drugs. And that's how you know you're addicted or not addicted, but you have that dopamine pathway trigger with certain foods or activities or pleasures. And that's what you have to watch yourself around because that can be a negative thing. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So you mentioned this, which should be Captain Obvious at this point, but not being taught, taught this in medical school of asking patients about certain things like this and educating them about their microbiome health. And you've had the opportunity to be educated at some of the most prestigious institutions in the world, you know, Cornell and Columbia and Harvard. And there is, and I wanna do a lot more right now. And I've been working for years on this subject and I'm working with some great people at Harvard and at NYU and Stanford to help to change some of this in the education. Because the outcomes, it's not necessarily just a lack of education for what physicians and nurse practitioners are able to teach patients, but it's what they're being taught themselves. Yeah. 
And and I want you to, if you could talk about this, this culture that's been created and encouraged in, in healthcare of just absolutely demolishing one's health in the name of achieving a certain status or education. Absolutely. You know, it's a very, this culture, and, I, and I, the reason I'm bringing this up is I really feel like one of our greatest leverage points is to help to heal healers and to help folks who are entrusted with taking care of the public, doing something to take care of themselves. Because as you know, and if you can articulate this, the levels of stress, the processed food consumption, the sleep deprivation, all of these things becoming commonplace for our healthcare practitioners and wondering why the education isn't reaching the patient. Absolutely. I, th I think what happens is you also get these dopamine pathways um, or these set neural pathways because during our grueling years of training, we are told that if you sleep, you're lazy. If you leave early and you know you go to work out, you're lazy or you're not a good doctor, especially in residency training, it was kind of like a hazing where you know, is who can stay the latest, who can get the least sleep, who is the most dedicated resident. And, you know, Boston was a very toxic environment in that way for me because it was dark outside. You never really knew, um, you know, you're never really getting out early enough to get sunlight anyway. And there's this kind of competition of who can work the hardest, who can work the longest, who can work the most shifts. And it's so toxic because it's teaching people that you have to trash your body in in order to be someone um, that's respectful or respected. Um, and what you're taught is that food is basically a um, fuel to get you to the next thing. Like we would eat these. So they had these like uh, graham crackers and like peanut butter packets that they would save patients when their blood sugar would be low and literally we would eat those to kind of sustain ourselves to the next meal and it was meals were provided were insanely processed and so you're living that life and then you graduate and you're supposed to tell people how to be healthier when you have basically trashed your body for the last 20 years um and so it was such a so when I was at my peak in my field, really, you know, finished all this training and double board certified and got my first job, became a partner, and I was supposed to be at my peak on the outside, I was at my lowest on the inside. I felt exhausted. I felt like my gut health was so poor. My mind was always anxious and running all the time, never in the moment, because at that point, I had convinced myself that doing these things, getting sunlight, getting sleep, getting exercise was something that um, I didn't have time for or that I shouldn't make time for because I'm a, I'm a busy mom, you know, doctor, uh, and I'm dedicated. And that meant that you have to skimp on those things. So really, it's so pervasive in the culture. And there's almost like you kind of, the older um, attendings, we call them, you know, the senior people, they'll say, oh, in my day, you, we, we worked 100 hour weeks. You know, you guys only have to work 80 hour weeks. And it's just insane that you can do that. You can tell people that that's normal and then expect them to come out of that without mental health disease, 
without physical health disease and without, you know, some kind of, they're not prepared um, to counsel people on health and nutrition when you're not living it yourself. You really can't counsel. I couldn't even, being a nutrition major in college, I had lost all of that during my training years in, in medicine. And then I was out in the real world and medicine today still does not have a nutrition component um, to the standard medical visit for most. And now, you know, things are changing because I, you know, this is, I graduated medical school in 2004. And so it's been almost 20 years. And so things have changed rapidly and I think it's going in the right direction. But as you know, we have, we're sorely late to the game. And we have a lot more work to do. And that's why people look to other sources for guidance because they're not really getting it sometimes from um, their medical provider. Yeah. And thank you so much for that because this has even helped to birth your amazing book, So Effing Tired. Yeah. And sharing your story. And you proactively, you know, this is the unfortunate scenario. You've got to figure this stuff out on your own when you're, you know, investing in the most prestigious education that you can get. But then what does that even equal if you lose yourself and your health? Right. And so I'm really hoping to help make a shift in this. And I know that we can. As you mentioned, things are changing. Yeah. And it's taking some really kind of pioneering voices and a lot of intention, a lot of work, because as systems exist and they just kind of coast along, unless something outrageous happens, and especially if people are making money from the system, It's very difficult to change it. And it's kind of, you know, COVID has come along and really shaken things up and disrupted things. It's creating a great opportunity for things to change. And I want to ask you about this because if we look at the health outcomes, because we've got the data on this stuff now, you know, if we look at the health outcomes of nurses versus the general population, higher rates of cancer, higher rates of insulin resistance, physicians having the highest rate of substance abuse of any other field. Yeah. And partially, of course, we're looking at the environment, but also the accessibility to drugs. Yeah. You know, and these things are not being talked about, the mental health issues. And so if we're going to really heal as a nation and as a species, we've got to address this because, you know, right now, if we look at the outcomes of our population overall, like we are the sickest nation in the history of humanity. You know, um, if we're talking about chronic diseases, it's unbelievable. Like we don't have to look very far to see the, the results, but this goes back to what are the inputs? And so for, for you, if you could talk a little bit about what, you know, once you had this revelation, like I've done all this stuff, but I feel like this, this is the outcomes that I'm having. What was the first kind of steps that you were taking to address that? Like what got you to like think outside of yeah. the box that you were taught to think in and start to address getting yourself well? I was always interested in the gut microbiome and the immune system interplay because in my family, everyone kind of dies at age a young age. 60 is like the average age and there's heart disease and there's diabetes. And these are like smallish Indian men and women. I mean, they don't, they don't look unhealthy. Um, and a lot of this disease came when they moved to the US. And even though they had a pretty high carbohydrate diet, vegetarian diet in India, 
when they moved, something changed. And it was always interesting to me. I was wondering, like, is it, of course, it was the food. You know, there's a lot more Coke and Pepsi um, Pizza Hut's um, visits. But there was also a change, shift in their lifestyle. They're sitting more at desk jobs because that, they were trying to hustle and make money. And so it was always fascinating to me, like, what is happening? What is going on in the body that is, uh, we don't understand. And at that time, nutrition was not popular at all. It was considered a soft science. Nobody really in the serious academic world was talking about nutrition like it is now. And so that, you know, when I started to make my shift, I thought to myself, what is it that I'm doing wrong that's making me feel like crap, that's making me gain weight, even though I'm working out, that's making my sleep so poor that I can't even sleep through the night. And so I started to look into, I kept thinking it must be my hormones, my immune system, or my gut. And then I realized that they're all three intertwined in one. And that's when I started to really be interested in circadian rhythms and gut bacteria. So one thing I wanted to share is I remember the reason I went to immunology fellowship is this concept of the hygiene hypothesis. So for people who don't know, at the turn of the century around in London, um, some smart doctors started to notice that the kids, the rich kids living in London were starting to have a lot of problems, health problems, uh, allergies, asthma, autoimmune things. And the kids who were poor, you know, quote unquote, poor kids living on the farm still in the outskirts of London weren't having those issues. And so it started a series of investigations of what's going on when you move from a rural farm environment to an urban environment. And that work is still going on because we don't know, right? Like even the immigrant thing that I was telling you, we don't know exactly what's changed and what's bad. But what they found is one of the biggest things that that changed is that the kids, the rich kids, had a cleaner life. They were around less bacteria. They had less siblings in the home, less animals, less dirt, less exposure to nature. Mm. And, you know, of course, they had more refined foods, uh, less stuff right from the farm, right? So they created this hypothesis, which is still the leading hypothesis of why our immune system and gut bacteria go haywire, called the hygiene hypothesis, that we need bacteria, we need dirt, we need farm, or we need something about that old environment to populate our um, gut and teach our immune system. And it's so fascinating. So when I was thinking to myself, like, I need to go back to some of those basic things that I used to do as a kid or as a young adult when I felt good um, because for some reason I feel like this gut immune hormone connection um, is, you know, we don't know exactly what it is, but there's something about it. So I just started to spend a little more time outdoors, started to learn about circadian rhythms, started to eat more closer to the source, less refined um, foods. And of course, as you know, once you start eating a little better, all of a sudden your thoughts change, um, your mood changes. You start to have ideas of like, okay, what I, I don't, I hate what I'm doing on a daily basis. I need to start to do some creative work. So it starts right. That gut brain connection is yeah. so clear 
in most people. And then I, I just kind of made a, a side turn, which was not the best decision financially. It was not the best decision for my career in terms of like my medical career. I could open more clinics. I could work more, you know, it really was. People were looking at me like, what the heck is she doing? Like she could literally, um, you know, be yeah, like making millions. Uh, but really what I wanted to do is figure out what was working and what wasn't working so I could share that. And I knew that that's something that could really help impact a lot of people. Yeah. And of course, in the long term, the the impact that you are making is is remarkable. And I just truly, I just want to acknowledge you for doing that because, you know, especially when we have so much invested in a certain way of thinking and living, it can be incredibly difficult to to shift gears and to just acknowledge when something's not working. And let me double down on this when people around you are just like, you're crazy. Like, yeah. what are you doing? You've got such and such. But I think it's really anchored in the fact of like, once you start to actually feel good and you are in this state and like you, you can't identify what it is, other healthcare professionals are telling you like, oh, it's just this and that and nothing happens to work. And you figure that thing out, it creates a level of authority in you yeah. that you can't really even describe with words. And, you know, you mentioned this hygiene hypothesis, and this is kind of not contrary, but it's another angle of the gene theory of disease, I'm sorry, the germ theory yeah. of disease, which, you know, when this came about, because we went from you know, things like the miasmatic theory of disease, like it's bad air yeah, is, yeah. is killing you. But the germ theory, once we were able to identify like, oh, there's these little microbial things that are the cause of yeah. all of our problems. Yeah. And then the world went to war, the world of medicine went to war with trying to kill these very small things, not understanding we're made from those very small things. So indiscriminate, indiscriminately killing the stuff that we're actually made of. And like, look where that has brought us. We went too far. Not to say that certain microbes can't be harm, harmful to us, but often we put this label of they're opportunistic. Yeah. That means when the opportunity is presented, when there's a deficiency within the system or there's a degradation or something isn't working right, like you know, basic immune function, that's when the thing can get on top of you. But a healthy, sovereign system requires a good balance of microbes. And the question I want to ask you about is that this still, it still circles back to gut health because the vast majority of our immune system is- Yeah, in our gut. And okay. not only is our immune system in our gut, our gut bacteria are constantly talking to our immune system and they are in communication at all times. And so when you say inflammation, it's that gut bacteria telling the, the immune system, hey, there's something wrong here, tell the body. So it creates these, um, you know, uh, interleukins, like interleukin 17, we'll say to the brain, uh, hey, there's some, something going on here. We, you know, we're inflamed. We need some time to rest. And that's why, you know, when you are sick, you'll kind of feel down or tired or want to sleep because it's this inflammatory signals that came to the brain that said, hey, we need to concentrate on what's going on here. We can't be doing all the things that you want to do. We got to fix this issue. And unfortunately, a lot of us are living in this inflamed state mm -hmm. a lot of the time. And so that immune system gut and hormone connection is so strong that people don't even realize that, oh, when, you know, your hormones are imbalanced, it really means 
your gut is imbalanced and it means your immune system is imbalanced. And so it's all one. It's not like you can fix it by just replacing the hormone or giving an adrenal cocktail or this is, you know, people make millions and billions of dollars of supplements to support the hormone system or to boost the immune system. And what they don't understand, it all comes down to that interplay in that gut. Yeah. Again, it's like another Band-Aid treatment. Right. You know, instead of like, what is causing the issue at its core? And I love that you mentioned that. Like, I think everybody can relate to that. Like, if you come down with something and just your mood is lower. Yeah. You're not really feeling as motivated. But also coming out of it, once you start to feel better, like... When you get over maybe a cold or a flu or something like that, like you feel amazing, yeah. you know, it's just like, that's that neurochemistry that's yeah. linking back up and your body's like, okay, immune system job, we've, we've done this. Here's some more energy that we can dedicate towards your cognition and your motivation. Yeah, that's why when you start fixing that gut bacteria, which by the way, starts happening at three days, um, if you rapidly change your diet and your lifestyle, you all of a sudden feel like you're waking up to thoughts that you really weren't able to process before. And for me, uh, and I know this is probably true for you, for me, that meant, hey, I got to shift gears here. I can't just, I was kind of in this um, blind routine, um, automated mode of do this in the morning, do this in it. And it was like, you just rinse and repeat all day. And most people are in that mode, they can relate, right? So a lot of people use the weekends to kind of um, use alcohol or drugs or escapism so that they can kind of get out of this uh, routine state and then they start all over on Monday, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a way to say, hey, maybe you try this for a couple of days and see, maybe you have better ideas about what's going on in your life. Maybe you make some changes, maybe relationships, maybe jobs or friends aren't serving you anymore. Maybe there's thoughts or uh, patterns that you want to change. And uh, that's a great way to get this, get on a population level, get people to start making changes. Yeah, absolutely. Like the thing that, and it wasn't until a few years ago that I really looked at this. The, the thing that was most unexpected when I was focusing on getting myself physically healthy, you know, when I was 20 years old, I say very similar situation, you know, being told that this thing I'm experiencing is normal in a sense, like there's nothing I can really do about as part of the process. For me, what was normalized was I had this so-called incurable arthritic condition in my spine, in my bone density, and just like told or programmed to believe that this was incurable, there's nothing I can do about it. And through the process of changing my thinking around this and getting myself well, I was just trying to get physically well and get out of pain. And when I started to give these new inputs into my body, what I was feeding my gut bacteria, which I had no idea about, wasn't thinking anything about that. I was just trying to lose weight. Yeah, yeah. But doing that in an efficacious manner where I was like, okay, my body, in order to regenerate my spine and my bone density, I need the raw materials that are coming from foods that I was so deficient in because at the time I was living in Ferguson, Missouri, surrounded by fast food and processed food that I ate, and I'm not exaggerating, every single meal of every day. I was made out of shit, like the worst <laughs> shit possible. And wondering why I'm in such pain and I'm not getting well, when I started to provide my body with those raw materials to regenerate the tissues, because your body, we, we don't, we still, we're scratching the surface in understanding the intelligence of the human body. You oh, know, yeah. your body knows what to do so far beyond our capacity to understand it. But once I started to provide these 
base nutrients and changing some of the things I was doing during the day, my movement practices. What I didn't realize was just how much my mind changed. Yeah. And I started to be, become much more optimistic and I started to see solutions. Whereas like, I know people know somebody like this, everybody does, somebody who's got a problem for every solution. You know, and so I started to see a solution to every problem. Matter of fact, multiple solutions. Matter of fact, I realized that all this time these things were available. I just wasn't attuned to them, you know. And the the point I wanted to make was what changed the most that was most unexpected was my standards for relationships. And I had no idea, you know, part of the process of being unwell was like being in unhealthy relationships. In unhealthy relationships. And now just like, I, I was just done. I was just like, I'm not gonna associate, I'm not gonna tolerate, I'm not going to you know, even participate in the shitty behaviors that I was engaging in as a young man in college, you know? Yeah. And it's just like, I got so dedicated, I just wanted to help people. Because part of that too was, once I got better, and this is what happened with you, I wanted to tell everybody about it, Yeah. you know? And so I got so focused on that, my mind changed because I was getting myself healthier and I didn't realize what, why that happened. Yeah, that, I'm so glad you mentioned the relationship part of, of health because I don't think we talk about that enough. And we already know that the longest living people around the world, you know, these centenarians, people who live 100 plus years that are healthy living 100 plus years, they name connection relationships as one of the main things um, that seem to keep them going on a daily basis. And I think that having good relationships is such a key part of health that we don't even talk about. We talk about in medicine, um, no, sorry, in the wellness world, we talk about fitness as health. Mm -hmm. That's basically all we talk about. We don't even talk about mind health. Maybe we're starting to now. We don't talk about relationship health. Um, And that's something that is such a key part of health. Um, And so learning which people both you know in your personal relationships with a a spouse or a loved one with your family with your friends who are the people that you can help and that can support you and to understand what these um what you're doing uh that may be wrong and how you can help them and vice versa recognizing yeah. when you're around toxic people or people that are bringing your health and your mental health down and really getting rid of that um, energy towards them is something that you can improve your health in ways you don't even understand i mean that thought of you are the product of the people that you spend the most time with biologically that makes sense because you pick up their gut bacteria you pick up their habits um and we know that your gut bacteria determine how you think, how you feel. And so when you're spending time with people, you're really picking up a lot of their microbiome too. Wow. Thank you for bringing that up because we've got data on this now too. Your gut bacteria is much more correlated and like your spouse yeah. than it is your siblings yeah. or your parents, yeah. right? So it just really articulates that your environment has a huge impact on your gut health and also just your, your, your outpicturing of your health. Got a quick break coming up, we'll be right back. Mental performance is more important than ever. And there are specific foods that are proven 
to enhance our cognitive abilities like few things can. A study published in Advanced Biomedical Research found that royal jelly has the potential to improve spatial learning, attention, and enhance our memory. And to add to that, it was found to be antimicrobial, anti-tumor, and anti-inflammatory. One of the biggest issues we're facing with cognitive decline, with diminishing brain health, is neuroinflammation, specifically hypothalamic inflammation. With our hypothalamus being a master regulator of our endocrine system and our nervous system. And addressing this helps not just our brain work better, but our body working better as well. Royal jelly has also been found to facilitate the differentiation of all different types of brain cells. And to top it off, researchers in Japan discovered that royal jelly has the power to stimulate neurogenesis in the hippocampus. This is the memory center of the brain. Very few things ever discovered have been found to be able to do this. This is the power of royal jelly. Royal jelly has been prized for centuries for all of its metabolic and cognitive benefits. But this is just one of the most remarkable superfoods for the brain. Another one of my favorite things is Bacopa. A randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled human trial, the gold standard of clinical testing, published in 2016, found that after just six weeks of use, Bacopa significantly improved speed of visual information processing, learning rate, memory consolidation, and even decreased anxiety in study participants. Now, I've got both of these powerful superfoods together in one of my all-time favorite nootropics, and it's called Be Smart from the incredible folks at Beekeepers Naturals. They're dedicated to sustainable beekeeping. That's where this amazing royal jelly comes from to deliver the cleanest, most bioavailable forms of bee products. And they're committed to third-party testing for over 70 pesticide residues commonly found in bee products, with some of the most pervasive offenders being things like DDT, that's again, commonly found in bee products. They also test for a wide variety of other things commonly found in bee products that a lot of folks don't know about, like heavy metals, like arsenic and lead, and also testing for E. coli and salmonella and things that you do not want coming through with the incredible bee products that we're trying to get and get the value from. We don't want toxins and poisons coming along with those things. So, so I'm a huge fan of Beekeepers Naturals and my favorite thing, my favorite nootropic is Be Smart from Beekeepers Naturals. Go to beekeepersnaturals.com for 15% off the Be Smart and all of their other incredible products. You've got to check out their superfood honey as well. It's amazing. Go to B-E-E-K-E-E-P-E-R-S naturals.com forward slash model. And again, you get 15% off all their incredible products. Be Smart is a must have for mental performance. Pop over there, check them out. Beekeepersnaturals.com forward slash model. Now back to the show. I wanted to bring this up too, because you mentioned in our society, we're really, you know, we've got this week framework and then, you know, get to the weekend. And, you know, it's like these two, these kind of dual realities. And, but the thing is, we just made this shit up. Like we, even the days of the week, like it's a socially accepted agreement on how we've structured things as society. And what tends to happen is we'll follow the rules, the quote rules, social rules through the week. 
and the weekend comes around, it's just like, I'm free. Yeah. And we throw off our rhythms and our routines and our patterns. And then come Monday morning, when we have to get back to the quote rules, we experience this social jet lag. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? So I don't know how long it's been since you've stayed up late and partied, uh, but I don't do it that often anymore, right? But when I do, I'm reminded of how um, a lot of people live like this on a week, every week basis where um, most of our thoughts are automated anyway, but a lot of people live in a very automated state where they're not present in the moment. And I think you can relate and I can relate. You know, when you're driving, you don't even know you're driving. You're just driving to the place that you know you um, have memorized and your brain knows, your body knows. Um, and so you're living in this automated state where you're not in the moment. You're just kind of in your head all the time. And then you go to the weekend where you basically um, try to, you know, relax, but relax sometimes means, you know, staying up late, having a lot of alcohol or drugs or whatever food. And you basically have created a situation in your brain and your body where it's doesn't know what time it is. It doesn't know uh, you're feeling jet lagged. Um, the next day is perpetually jet lagged. Um, and you're really never getting to the point where you're in that moment where you know, a lot of meditation and mindfulness is really just bringing you back into that, into the present moment because so many of us are, spend our weeks, the entire week, um, not in the present moment because we have learned behaviors and unconsciously just do everything. And then on the weekends, we are never able to catch up with um, that, uh, you know, nature time, that relaxation, that good food. And so you're trashing your body and your brain again on the weekend. You wake up on Monday morning and you're exhausted, you're jet lagged, and you're kind of going back into that automated thoughts um, process again. And it's like a perpetual cycle. And I know I was there. So I can, I don't know if you can relate, but I was there. I, I just went through the motions of the day. I did everything I needed to do, but I really wasn't in the moment. And then the weekends I spent kind of trashing my body. And then Monday, it was back to the same grind again. And I, it's like you never actually were alone with your thoughts at any point. Um, you were never actually thinking about how um, to break patterns that weren't serving you. Um, and your circadian rhythms were completely thrown off because, you know, you stayed up half the night and now you have to wake up at, you know, 6 or 7 a.m. again. Um, it's it's a really it's a pattern that we've created with society that most people can kind of relate to yeah. that we can easily make changes to if I always say like smart entrepreneurs will change the world. We already know that there's innovation. And when you know this information, you can start creating solutions for people that are easier, that are um, streamlined, that you can change wake up really wake up out of this kind of mm. um fog that's leading us to poor mental health to obesity to disease yeah wake up is a good term yeah to use you know and so this reminds me of uh, a really interesting study and i talked about this in eat smarter in my latest book but and we'll put it up we'll put the study up for people to see but the researchers were wanting to see what happens with your microbiome when changing time zones, when altering people's sleep cycles. And so this is a human study. And so 
they had folks, you know, basically changing time zones, crossing multiple time zones and having their stool sample before and and after. And they could see just by altering their sleeping schedule and their body in association to the sun and the, you know, the entire galaxy really is what. Yeah. And humans had, the thing is, what I want to reiterate is we haven't been able to do this throughout our evolution. We're talking again, the earth has been around, you know, according to the latest science, a couple billion years, you know, but only within about a century have we been able to like literally take our body, pluck it from one place and then fly it across the globe and plop it down in another. Something that would take, you know, months of travel to achieve can happen in a few hours. And so the disorientation that takes place with our body in relationship to the solar system mm -hmm. is remarkable. And so not that we can't do this and have a good time, but we need to be anchored in understanding this is new. Yeah. And we probably need to stack conditions in our favor to help our bodies to adjust. And so what they found was that after altering their, their time schedule and their body in association to the solar system, what happened was in their stool samples, they found increased prevalence of bacteria associated with insulin resistance, obesity, diabetes, altering their gut bacteria that quickly to being as someone who is experiencing those states of disease. Good news is once they got them back onto a normal sleep schedule, the things resolved. But who is perpetually living in that state? And are we doing this to ourselves with this social jet lag, constantly throwing off our rhythms yeah. just because of, you know, it's this thing going on. And I don't want to, to create a neurosis here where we can't <laughs> go out and kick it and do stuff. But I'm just saying if we're proactively doing this on a regular basis and wondering why we're not getting the results we want with our you know, with our blood sugar being healthy, with our weight, with our mental health. These are the core things. Like it's literally, it's not just you're making this decision to, you know, um, you know, do this thing. It is at its core, it's affecting your gut bacteria like instantaneously, which is going to have an outpicturing on your health. And so this leads into the question, if you could articulate this, because you're somebody who for me is a, a leading voice in the subject matter, what is circadian medicine? Yeah. And circadian nutrition, like what, what are they? What, what, what do they do? Our bodies work on this day and night cycle. And so much of our metabolism, how we digest food, how we process medications, uh, for example, blood pressure medications given um, day versus night um, have a huge difference in their impact because we, even our metabolism of foods and medications changes throughout the day. And so understanding how important, you know, we have talked about daylight savings a little bit uh, before, but, you know, one shift of a, one less hour of sleep, um, that Monday, there's a spike, 20, 22% spike in heart attacks, you know, in car accidents. Uh, we know that our body really is finely attuned. I mean, one hour of lost sleep, and we're doing this on, the weekends with three, four hours of shift, um, shifting our sleep. So you can imagine what havoc it's wreaking on all of our uh, bodily functions when we're shifting our rhythms all the time. We're not getting enough sleep. We are not sleeping at the right times. We're not eating at the right times. We're not um, getting enough input to our brains. And it, it impacts not only our insulin, it impacts 
our brain function impacts as you knew the heart attack and our ability to have higher reflexes. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of remember this feeling all the time when I would work an overnight shift and then you'd come back home and then you'd wake up and you were completely disoriented. And I remember that I was, um, literally had people got into accidents all the time. Um, you know, both car accidents and, uh, physically, your reflexes are just not working when your circadian rhythms are disturbed. So reflexes, heart disease, insulin levels, I mean, you name it and it gets damaged um, or disrupted by circadian rhythm imbalance. So that's something that we've left on the table only in, I think it was 2017, the Nobel Prize in Medicine went to uh, Jeffrey Hall and colleagues about their circadian rhythms, uh, the molecular effects of circadian rhythm. So literally it's brand new science that we're just learning about now. And ever, ever since Jeffrey Hall and um, his colleagues kind of came out with this information, it's just opened this whole new world because now we're like, oh, wait, it affects your gut health. Oh, wait, it affects your brain health. Oh, wait, you know, every single thing is goes back to, um, can be linked back to circadian rhythms. Mm, so powerful. So the timing of things affects everything, basically. You know, so when you're taking even medication, there are ideal times to take things that's now being addressed and affirmed. Our, our food, when we're eating, it's going to influence everything about us, but also our bodies themselves can essentially, I mean, and I want to ask you about this, our individual template is going to determine when's best for us, best time for us to eat. Like, yeah. I think it goes both ways, yeah. I would imagine. Yeah, you want to use the sun i always tell people it's like you don't have to go back to hunter gatherer days and like you know pack at, once the sun goes down you're done for the evening it's just not practical in our lives right now but use it as a rough guide to kind of think about it uh evolutionarily that we're learning more and more that hey um when the sun goes down and it's late in the evening you probably want to wrap up and not have your huge meal like at 10 p.m. Probably want to have uh, your biggest meals during the daytime when your digestion is strongest. And Eastern medicine knew this all the time, right? They always talk about um, eating your meals in midday. Um, Ayurveda talks about midday meals trying to be your biggest between 12 and 5 should be kind of where you eat the most food. So they knew that intuitively thousands of years ago. And we're starting to learn that again now. And so you can see it's like waking, if I woke you up in the middle of the night and I asked you to do a complex math problem, you may not get it right or you may get it right and then you're pissed because I woke you up in the middle <laughs> of the night. And then when you wake up the next day, you're exhausted because you got woken up in the middle of the night. And that's how our body, our metabolism works when you try to feed, try to have that huge meal late at night. And, and I know... Personally, I have experienced this, and I don't know if you have, eating super big meal late at night, right before bed. It is terrible for your sleep, for your digestion, and you wake up the next day almost like hungover, and your insulin levels are really disrupted. Um, so just learning these things can, and people probably can relate, but was they were never told to do anything differently. 
Yeah. You're bringing up so many things that we've all experienced, but we don't really put language to. Right. You know, so this is super fascinating stuff. And, you know, we're looking at circadian medicine, really paying attention to when our genes, which again, we have these clock genes that are now being affirmed that control what other genes do, that control what our proteins do based on the time it is or our body trying to sort out what time it is. Because that's the thing about humans. We can just manufacture the time of day we want in a, in a superficial way. It's not true. We're just kind of, we can try to hide out basically from nature. But your body's always trying to get s- s- synced up again with yeah. life itself. And so again, even our inputs with exercise, with sleep, our genes are expecting certain inputs that will give us certain outcomes based on when we're doing these things. And really this interesting phenomenon, and you mentioned this, what happens with this daylight savings phenomenon we've been experiencing for, it's been about a hundred years now that it's been something utilized in popular culture. Specifically, we're talking about here in the US, World War I, towards the end of that it was implemented, but then it was taken away. And then World War II, same thing. It was under the guise of saving energy was what yeah. it was supposed to be for. This was never about human biology and health. And it was actually deemed to be, quote, wartime. That was what they called it, these time changes, because it was implemented during these times of war. And it's just like we've been at war with our health ever since. And you mentioned this uptick when we go to daylight savings time, where we're losing an hour in traffic accidents. We see over 20% increase in things like strokes and heart attacks. But another thing is this increased incidence of adverse events taking place in healthcare settings, more mistakes with, you know, whether it's a procedure or medication, like, again, because our, we really are throwing off the system and we're not showing up as our best self. And oftentimes we're proactively doing this to ourselves and don't realize it. But this, I think the reason is getting tracked is because it's a societal, big societal database, Yeah, you know? So I want to ask you about recently there's been litigation pushed through, it's already passed the Senate, the Sunshine Protection Act to abolish this time change, right? So, which is a great first step, but you live in Arizona where it's one of the two states that are just like, we're not participating in this time change in the first place, the other place is Hawaii, but you have more access to sunlight at a longer span than a lot of other places in the US. So I wanna know your thoughts on the Sunshine Protection Act and yeah. Yeah, thanks for articulating it so well. Our bodies, no matter what your job is, whether you work night shift, day shift, and we live in a 24-7 society now, uh, your body still works on circadian rhythms day and night. So people always say to me uh, as night shift workers, like, oh, well, can I just shift my circadian rhythms? No, like you will never um, be able to shift your body's entire um, genome into a nighttime animal. Um, it will never, you'll never get adjusted. Every time you see that sunlight, natural light, you get readjusted to day and night. We're just um, built that way. So you have to work around that. And so- Wait, so you're saying we are not in fact owls. Yes, we cannot switch. Like people will say, like, can't I switch my circadian rhythm? And you cannot. I mean, you can shift it slowly, right? But you really can't go from, uh, become a nocturnal um, human. So when it comes to daylight savings time, it is very, it's very, like you said, when you travel time zones, it's a huge hit to your body in so many ways. 
So we're basically doing that purposely when we shift the time for people when um, with daylight savings time. So I'm a huge fan of keeping the times stable throughout the year. So that's one thing because you really don't want to be um, shifting people's time zones twice a year, more so than they're already experiencing through travel, through disruptive circadian rhythms of their daily life. Once we understand the science, we have to make better options in society. It's only been, um, you know, 24-7 drive-throughs weren't even available even when I was a kid. I don't remember that. Um, there's very few things that were open all night and there wasn't Uber Eats, you know, all night long. And so we have to remember that the circadian disruption has been so rapid and so life-changing in the last 20 years. Um, and then we're adding to that a stress of daylight savings time. And that can be so disruptive. So I'm a huge fan of not doing any time changes. But when it comes to, um, you know, what time is appropriate, uh, why are we sticking to a daylight saving schedule? It's just puzzling to me because biologically that makes no sense. We should be staying on the circadian day and night standard time that our bodies are attuned to so that we can have health outcomes that are better than we had. If you tell people that you are perpetually going to be in a different time zone than your body, uh, that's going to create health problems and problems that we won't even see for many years now. Yeah, yeah. We were talking about this before the show a little bit, but during the shortest day of the year in New York City, if we, as of now, you know, with the times changing and having standard time and daylight savings time, during the shortest day of the year, uh, December 21st, the sun would rise currently at 7.30 a.m. in New York City. If this bill passes through its completion and we stay on daylight savings time, the sun will now rise on the same day for New Yorkers at 8.30 a.m. And under the guise of like, oh, we're going to get an extra hour of sunlight after work as we're sitting in traffic on the way home. You know, but then I get it. Like, of course, like it's a socially accepted thing. We want to have a little bit more daylight to do stuff. I understand that. But biologically, we need more light in the morning and yeah. less light in the evening. And we're altering our clocks to stay on that time, which is, again, it's pushing us more into abnormality. But the ultimate thing, I'm, I really appreciate the fact that we're looking at stopping switching times, but we're not looking at what's ideal. Right. I'm, the bi biology of circadian rhythms, like I said, it's a, such a new, but kind of blew this world open, the science. And now that we understand what an impact it has, we really need to listen uh, to what the science is telling us, which is very clear that our reflexes, our metabolism, hormones are going to be impacted in a negative way if you keep switching our circadian rhythms, some of it is under our control and some of it um, comes from, you know, external governmental sources like, you know, time changes like this. Yeah. So if everybody listening, if you can, you can contact your representative, implore them to, yes, let's keep the time from changing, but let's go with standard time versus yeah. daylight savings time. And in closing, I want to ask you about this because I know a lot of folks want to know this stuff from the person themselves, but 
what does your morning routine look like yeah. for Dr. Amy Shaw? I have really refined this over the years um, because oh, I didn't allow myself. So I used to, one day I had off in the morning and I went to a morning workout class. It was at 9 a.m. And I said to the people exiting that class, you're so lucky. I mean, I wish I could work out in the mornings, you know, like, but I can't, you know, I might have to go to work. And one of the uh, women in that class said, well, aren't you a doctor? Like, couldn't you change your schedule? Couldn't you tell your admin or your front desk or just, you know, maybe leave a little time for a workout in the morning? And it was so eye-opening to me. I was like, wow, you, you do have the power. Like, if you wanted to say, okay, I'm going to get up, either you get up an hour earlier or you make time in the morning. So it's not at 9 a.m., but it's early in the morning that I get up. I first thing I do um, after I wash my face, I do um, look at my phone because I'm a mom and I'm a doctor and I have to check for any emergencies overnight. So I usually just check to make sure that there was no um, serious things, family, friends, everybody's safe. Then I put it away. Then I go and um, get some natural light first thing in the morning. And that's a time to do some mindset work because mindset work doesn't need to be 60 minutes of meditation. I think that was like a mind blow, like a revelation to me that, oh, I didn't, I don't need to sit down for 60 minutes and just do like two, three minutes in the morning um, and get some natural light. So most of the time I will get dressed and do a fasted workout outdoors, or I will do partially um, my mindset work and a few minutes outdoors and then go to a workout um, indoors and it's uh, kind of an open air uh, workout. And my whole goal is maybe to have a little bit of time after the workout to um, kind of reset my circadian rhythms and also reset for the day, do some, uh, kind of, you know, that exercise of being in the now um, in nature so that you can kind of your creative thoughts come when you're not distracted. And most of the day we spend distracted with our phones, driving, work, you know, whatever it is, internet. And so I try to spend a couple of minutes, it's so hard, undistracted, just in the moment, maybe just walking, you know, something that doesn't require a lot of um, attention and um, do that every morning. And I usually stay fasted with just water until that point. And so usually it's at least two hours into the day um, before I have my first meal. And then I know that, you know, study after study shows that the, the, the order of nutrients that you eat, um, especially in the first meal, can really determine the path of your day. So I'm very intentional of not eating refined carbohydrates and sugar as my first food that I eat. I usually go fiber, protein, um, forward along with my chai because I love tea with spices. So I usually do, and it, and it's, there's a ritual aspect to having, mm. um, tea. It's also reduces DNA damage by 25%. Actually coffee does too. The, the, they're actually very, very healthy for you. Um, as long as you're not adding a lot of sugar, um, and additives to it. And so I break my fast um, and then I'm off to the day and it just sets me up for a great day. Like if I don't do that morning routine and even when I travel, I do at least a shortened version. It's not, you know, it's not an hour or two like it usually is, but it's a couple of minutes, but I do a mini version of that 
uh, because I think that it sets you up. It gives, prepares your mind and your body for the day and it helps me show up as my best self. And like we said, sometimes these healthy habits and routines, it becomes so routine that some days when you wake up unmotivated to do it, you just do it because it's out of habit. And once I do it, I feel so much better. And then I'm, I'm setting up the momentum for the day. That's so awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Also, that additional nugget of like, even when you travel, yeah. you know, you're taking that with you. The neuro association is there and it puts you in that state, you know, so super good stuff. Um, listen, you're one of my favorite people in this space and I appreciate you so much. Could you share, number one, where people can follow you, get more information? You do some great stuff on Instagram, by the way, and also where people can pick up your book. Well, I have to, it goes right back to you are one of my favorite people in the wellness community. You have so much amazing science to share, but you're also a really amazing person and um, colleague in this world. So thank you for what you do for everyone and for um, being such a, a collaborative, amazing person. You. Uh, you can find me at FastingMD on Instagram. AmyMDWellness.com is my website and Amy Shaw, MD on Twitter and Facebook. Awesome. And your book? My book is called I'm So Effing Tired. And actually, the paperback just came out um, a few days ago. So yes. I'm excited about getting that to the world. You know, it's so funny, Sean. I put so much pressure on myself as my, a first-time author to make this book, you know, the best thing it ever could. And then about a week into it, I realized I'm killing myself. And I'm killing my creativity and my vibe and the energy I put out into the world. And I'm putting so much pressure. So I did what runners do. I decided to put 85% effort. And then for that last 15%, I just wanted to have fun and relax and be in the moment. And then everything started to change because my energy changed, my way of speaking about it, interacting with people changed. And all of a sudden, the book got to reach the people that I wanted to. And um, it was actually, Fortune just named it one of the top five books, business books of 2021. So I was excited about that. Boom. <laughs> so awesome. So needed, timely. And, you know, you are the vessel that is coming through, you know, your representation. That's what I admire most about you. You know, you walk your talk. Yeah. So I appreciate yeah. you so much for coming on and hanging out with us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me second time. It's awesome. <laughs> second, we'll make it a third soon. Yeah, I can't wait. Let's go, Dr. Amy Shaw, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning into the show today. I hope you got a lot of value out of this. Again, pop over and check out Dr. Amy Shaw on Instagram. She's at FastingMD on Instagram. And of course, her wonderful book is called I'm So Effing Tired, A Proven Plan to Beat Burnout, Boost Your Energy, and Reclaim Your Life. Now, we're talking about reclaiming your life at a whole new level right now because it's so needed empowering our citizens, our families, and our communities. And this message of empowerment is something that's been severely lacking the past few years, but we're working to make a change to that. And you are a part of that mission. And one of the best ways to help to move this mission forward is to share this episode. Share it out with your friends and family. You can share it on social media. Take a screenshot of this episode. Tag me. I'm at Sean Model, of course. Tag Dr. Shaw as well, at FastingMD. Just share what you thought about this episode. And of course, you could send this episode directly from the podcast app that you're listening on to a friend or family member. You know, that's the great thing about technology today is that 
things are so shareable, the good stuff and the not so good stuff. And so we want to upgrade the amount of good stuff that we're sharing with friends and family and getting folks feeling more empowered and educated. And again, it's never been more important. We're just scratching the surface on what we're here to accomplish. I appreciate you so much for tuning into the show today. We've got some epic shows coming your way very soon. So make sure to stay tuned. Take care. Have an amazing day. And I'll talk with you soon. And for more after the show, make sure to head over to themodelhealthshow.com. That's where you can find all of the show notes. You can find transcriptions, videos for each episode. And if you've got a comment, you can leave me a comment there as well. And please make sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating to let everybody know that the show is awesome. And I appreciate that so much. And take care. I promise to keep giving you more powerful, empowering, great content to help you transform your life. Thanks for tuning in.